everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we dive into the development, security, and operational issues of today with representation from different disciplines, professions, and specialties so we can solve real-world problems with people that face them. On this podcast, we are challenging each other's perspectives, debating viewpoints on some common topics, one of which we'll get into today, and getting other teams over on your side. I'm Ken Toller for security, and as always, we have our normal cohort of co-hosts, Jameson Colburn for DevOps and Simon Dolo for product engineering. Hello. Welcome back. Oh, wait, wait. So today, we are diving into something we all have plenty to talk about uh, for testing and what that knee-jerk reaction is when someone talks about it in your particular area of work, also how we test specifically for our organizations and how we can lean on each other's testing abilities and capabilities to level up our own testing. And I think this topic is super ripe for discussion. It's something that we have talked about doing uh, for a while, but now that we sort of have a rhythm, I think it's a good time to get into it. So maybe we'll go longer than usual, or maybe we will be so enraged by each other's views that we'll go a little bit short, but Um, In any event, I'm super excited about this one because I think a large number of security folks get started in what I would call security testing. And so when we talk about application security and product engineering and DevOps, it can sometimes mean completely different things in that initial discussion, which is what we are sort of targeting in this podcast. Um, And I don't think we've done necessarily a great job uh, in the industry of leaning on each other for this stuff. So I'm pretty pretty psyched about it. So before we dive in, um, any general um, asides or anything you guys want to call out? I, I do think this is going to be a very different topic between the three of us. I have a specific mindset of what testing means to me, and I feel like this is a, a discussion piece that almost never happens between the three orgs. Exactly, yeah. Let's get testing. <laughs> Jameson, would you agree like that uh, that the sort of integration of testing between the three orgs is not necessarily something that you find across industries? No, certainly not. Yeah, like it's I would say it's very rare to to see people talk about testing across you know the the broader organizations, but also even within organizations, I'd say um, very few places I've been have I been where folks actually standardize their testing frameworks. It's kind of like a, a collection of fiefdoms where, you know, I, well, we're using, you know, this testing framework over here and we're using something else over here. And it's, it's definitely one of the last things I, I usually see standardized, unfortunately, but. Yeah. Agreed. So what I thought would be a good way to start this, uh, is to basically tell, uh, the audience and to come at it from our you know, particular points of view, what we do from a, in a testing capacity for an organization typically, or what is most common in the industry. And I can start with that. And then afterwards, maybe we can talk about how we can potentially lean on each other, you know, based on those definitions for future state and to maybe give some folks out there some ideas of how to take that back. So security testing. Um, super exciting for me. From So when people think about security testing, the first thing that always comes up if you're talking to a general audience is penetration testing. And I think in application security, that's also always a little bit of a frustration because 
there's different types of penetration testing. And even in penetration testing, how someone thinks about an application security penetration test is different than how you might look at an adversarial simulation or overall penetration test. So when you have to bring that into the application conversation, the product engineering conversation becomes a really, really difficult because you have to get over that terminology hurdle first. So application security testing does incorporate this adversarial simulation type of relationship where you're coming at uh, an application with no knowledge of it and you are doing some testing, generating some vulnerability reports uh, or some attack paths for an organization to say what you need to remediate. But in the application security software development lifecycle or software assurance um, capability, you typically find three different types of testing. You have SAST or um, static application security testing, DAST or dynamic application security testing, and then your typical security tests that are written within the umbrella of unit tests, functional tests, and integration tests. And so with all of that, the primary, I guess, testing that comes up first is uh, static testing and dynamic testing. So an organization will typically stand up a static uh, security scanner or a static uh, code review that is just searching through code review for common vulnerabilities and the product engineering teams are either forced or willingly put their code into these analyzers and they sort of get all the low hanging fruit, some complex, um, some complex vulnerabilities out of that. And it's done by looking through code. I also sort of fold open source software scanning into this as well. So like your library scanning or something along those lines where you're searching for outdated versions of like spring or something like that. And, um, and I also incorporate like, uh, what you would see as, oh, I'm going to scan for SQL injection on this code base. It's in a specific language. The scanner runs through a bunch of potential uh, flaws from a source to a sync, identifies it, and delivers that as a, as a result. The next one is dynamic testing, which is really a scanner that's designed to go after an application as a potential attacker. And I'm doing air quotes there because uh, <laughs> you all can't see me, but I'm doing it. Uh, and that is scanning the live application, either in a staging environment, sometimes organizations will do that in production, and it's not simulating an attacker. What it's doing is sort of enumerating the application and then trying to identify common um, deployment vulnerabilities. It might pick up things like cross-site scripting or um, CSERF or uh, some other vulnerabilities that maybe are related to headers or security configuration, but it doesn't have access to the source code. And then the last piece is where I think organizations are, are failing for the most part, and that's when security teams will write security tests based on results from these scanners or results from penetration tests, and then put those into security requirements, which are then tested as part of the development lifecycle. And that's much more rare. Uh, and, and typically when you talk to product engineering teams, they don't really think of security tests in that manner. They think of it as, oh, I've got to go throw it into this vendor or that vendor, and that has to be part of my pipeline. But I think 
security is really trying to push, uh, you know, the, the whole shift left thing is, is where we're trying to get to. So we're trying to take all those results from our security scanners, push those into security requirements and force the security team or product engineering teams to help the security team to write those tests for security. Um, that's my overview of security testing by Ken. <laughs> um, and I think that there's so much packed into that, which is why I'm uh, first, I wanted to open up because I'm curious on the reactions to that. And second, uh, I want to see if any of that aligns with how DevOps and product engineering sort of see their tests or if any, you know, wool has been lifted from the eyes. Yeah, I can start. I, I feel like I was about to like yell at you in my brain and then you basically said what I was going to say. And I think that the idea of, of misunderstood terminology is huge here because you were talking about co-standards and you're talking about uh, things that are uh, not necessarily not a like unit test or functional test per se, but it's something that you're looking at to see if there's something wrong. And you were talking about code scan. I'm like, that's not a test. That, that's the equivalent of, you know, like a lint tool or a check style for programming. It's not something that's wrong. It could be potentially wrong, but I never consider that a test. And I feel like I'm being hypocritical because I'm thinking about my own side of things and you're talking about load testing, which is very similar to some of the testing that as a security engineer, you'd be looking for seeing how you can take down a system, whether it be a DDoS attack or something like that. And that I would consider a test. I use the term test there. So I'm totally being a hypocrite right now. So it's funny that you started talking. I felt like we'd have nothing in common, but we really, like, we actually do have a lot in common. So security by Ken. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> James, any initial thoughts? No, I mean, I agree with you, right? Like when you do, similar to why you do unit testing, right? When you do that security testing, like, you know, security unit testing even, and do that close to the application that's done by the developers, right? That's going to yield a lot greater benefit than somebody coming by later and just, you know, doing an analysis of the app or, or doing uh, an assessment, right? So I, I, again, we always come back to it, right? With security champions, it's, it's getting security into the application as early as possible. And I think with the security unit testing, kind of what, what you, you know, discussed with CSERF and, and all those other wonderful, um, you know, kind of low hanging fruit, let's call them, um, not to like demean anybody, but it, it's kind of, you know, they are table stakes for a modern application. Um, you know, those are great tests to get in early and, and to kind of get in everything so that, you know, you don't find out in prod that, oh, by the way, uh, we're, we're, you know, our application is vulnerable to this. So I agree with everything you said. I'm curious, Ken, what your concept of a unit test is, because I feel like security when it comes to testing is, is a reactionary and proactive measure for essentially protecting somebody else's code. So the, my concept of a unit test is very different because I'm protecting myself for what I just wrote. So like, could you describe me in your mind what you think a unit test is? No, I, I think I think you're exactly right. It's like what you what you've just written in in isolation. I look at it as like an isolated bit of code. Uh, testing against a set of requirements for that specific set of code. And so the way that I look at security and unit tests is that when you are writing that code, security should be a part of that specific test. So a unit test that you may be able to write in your code might be built off of sec uh, secure coding guidelines that you have in your organization. 
So you have a set of secure coding guidelines and typically that's written out as a set of requirements that you need to have in your code. And when you're writing a unit test, you have a, a set of functional requirements that you want to meet within that small snippet of code. We'll, we'll say small relatively here. And security tests should be a part of that in the development process. So security will write some tests. And I also think engineering teams are responsible for writing some of the tests that they might build against their requirements in the same way that they would write their own functional tests or their absolutely. own, sorry, their own unit tests. Yeah, absolutely. You tell me if I'm on, yeah, well, I'm, if I'm on the on or off the mark on unit tests, but that's how I look at it from the security side. There's, there's, when you go into unit testing and product engineering, I guess this is a segue into, into what I think of, of this whole mess, but. Do it. Yeah. Let's just segue right now. Thing is a holy war when it comes to product engineering. Uh, there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of bad things. There's a lot of, a lot of fluff. Um, I'll say before I get into this, but to me, testing for a product engineer is really a state of mind, a safe state of mind in confirming that the code that I wrote is doing what I expect it to. And if I have to change in the future, I can add tests specifically to cover what I've changed. And I should have comfort in knowing that if all tests pass, there is a high likelihood that nothing is broken and I, I, I'm comfortable deploying. It's the first step. And, and this expands into you know, the, the concept of testing that I understand in product engineering. So unit test, very similar to what you said. I think it's usually a little bit more uh, defined. So, you know, you're testing a method and it's a unit test. And the big thing in my mind of what makes a unit test different from an integration test is nothing is instantiated. Nothing is actually live. You haven't, you're not hitting a service. You're not calling a database. It is as isolated as possible. And it's not about systems. It's about that method or that class or that logic and what it's supposed to be doing. Taking that to the next level, you've got integration testing. So you're trying in isolation to be communicating with other systems at this point, or maybe a database, another service. So you're now establishing the test of a contract. I expect A to react to B in this in this manner. If something has changed, I need to contact the team responsible or the database responsible and figure out what's wrong. Taking that you know, to the next level, you've got load testing, you've got automation testing, you've got manual testing for things that maybe you need to, you want to have a human eye on, maybe a front end experience you're doing, you know, front end testing uh, and, and all that mess. And, and where I think I get a little bit uh, frustrated from a product engineer is you can go down a few paths, you can do the bare bones, cover, you know, test case success one negative case and move on and say that's kind of good enough. What are the odds of something else happening? Um, I think that's the sign of a more junior engineer and, uh, you know, not covering your cases. There's the opposite of that, which also can drive, drive me insane, which is I need to have 100% test coverage for all my code. And I think that's a waste of time. You need to realize when you're losing value when it comes to testing, because, you know, testing a, uh, a kind of getter center class and expecting a set stream to come back, maybe not the best you've seen your time. Uh, so having, you know, having a good understanding of what's worth testing and what's worth uh, having faith in the language you're writing in, um, I think is super important. Has, has Have any of you been in an organization where there is 100% test coverage or that you're approaching 100% test coverage? I've seen 99.99 99 .99 before. Uh, it's, and it's, 
I, fa I love it when people write more unit tests that are functional than the actual code they're writing. That's great, but there is a limit to that. There's absolutely a limit. Did it include security testing? Absolutely not. It was, and that, that's what drives me crazy is the point of these tests is to cover the line. It doesn't matter what the code does. As long as I can get my code coverage tool to step through that line, I'm happy as a clam. So it's measured on whether or not the testing has looked at that code, not the quality of the tests exactly. that have been conducted. And, and again, there's a benefit to coverage. You know, if you're looking at your code and it's 20% coverage, what that says is likely there's a lot of conditional cases in your business logic that need to be addressed. But there's always, there's always an overkill to that. And, you know, you can go into the idea of mocking objects and that's another standardization of holy war that I could talk about for ages. I, I, I don't fully agree with mocking. I think unit tests and integration tests exist for a reason. Uh, they serve different purposes. And if you're wasting your time mocking classes, you're forcing new methods that you may not have understood. So I think that's a very dangerous territory, like, territory to go to. Uh, I feel like I'm going <laughs> to probably anger a lot of people with my opinions in this episode. But the last thing I'll say is I, I unfortunately don't believe in test-driven development in large-scale projects. Uh, I said it. I stand by it. I think product engineering moves too fast. Uh, if, you're, if you're spending your first set of time writing tests, you're probably going to be writing tests for something that's supposed to be read. And by the time you're done, the application launched, it's not read anymore. It's an elephant. And it, you, you, you need to add tests as you're going, not before. Okay. I'm no, sorry. No, I mean, look, this is great. I hope, I hope we, uh, we incite some questions uh, out of this conversation. And I don't want to derail too much before we get into the DevOps point of view, but I do want to, uh, I do want to ask you one thing, uh, which is, can How you just you... go back to, can you just go back? Why well, I, I noticed that you like your, uh, the talking speed sped up. So it's obvious that you are, in, um, excited about this, which is great. And I love oh, yeah. it. Uh, but can you tell me, the, can you dig into the mock classes piece a little bit more? So you said you don't agree with that um, that approach. Can you just clarify that for the audience, what that is? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a great idea and concept, but in practice, I don't. I think it becomes very ineffective and hard to use. So what I mean by mocking a class, and there's a bunch of libraries that will do this for you. Um, you know, I think Java has 500 different options to do, but essentially what you're doing is instead of taking the time to rate an actual integration test where you are generating data, you are calling a service and making sure that it's active and you're uh, making a call to the system, you probably have to deal with, you know, security headers and um, see what's going on. Instead of doing that, you're saying, I want to rely on this mocked version of this class. And so what you're saying is, I'm going to call this method not really, I'm going to fake call this method and I'm going to force it to react in a certain way. And so to me, I think maybe in an, in a naive sense, that's going to be great for unit testing, but I think a good engineer should be able to write unit tests with, without relying on mock classes because you're basically forcing behavior that may or may not be there and your test at some point will likely become invalid. So, you're, so the mock class is designed to uh, provide a behavior that doesn't exist in a fully deployed application. Exactly. So, so an example of, you know, I'd like to uh, test this 
weird method that I send a number to and um, it, it calls like some factorial function. Uh, so takes takes a number, takes an integer, for example, and returns an integer. This mock function will take in an integer and spit out an integer, but what happens inside of it, you can do whatever you want. So I could be like, well, you know, for this specific case, uh, you know, it ends up the answer is 25. So for my unit case, I'll just return 25. That's fine. Let's move on. And then someone okay. moves that, that unit taste going that unit test going forward, and guess what? Things are going to break. Got it. Understood. Just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. Okay, so that's your view on unit tests, integration tests, functional tests, uh, and that is is uh, different from my view on unit tests, functional tests, integration tests. So we're definitely on the right track. Yeah. And so now let's just turn it over to the DevOps side of the house um, and get your take on it, man. Um, Jameson, what kind of testing do you do? Do you write? Do you execute? Does any of this look familiar to you in a DevOps world? So <laughs> I have so much to unpack from Simon, um, but that would probably send us down a rabbit hole that we probably won't have time to go down. So oh, we're unpacking it. We've got plenty oh, of time. Oh, man. I, I, well, my first thought was just, you know, without mocks, how do you do contract testing where, you know, mocking is a big part of contract testing, but that would, that question is predicated on how do you feel about contract testing, Simon? Um, but maybe let's not go there. <laughs> so I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Simon said, you know, your unit tests should be self-sufficient, right? So like putting it in a DevOps light, um, if you think about infrastructure testing, right? Like testing your infrastructure's code, your unit testing in Terraform, like so, you know, you, you kind of start with your um, you start with your unit testing. Well, maybe don't start with unit, but as far as unit testing in, in infrastructure's code, you're just looking at how many, like maybe your assert is just looking at how many resources am I expecting to generate out of this Terraform module, right? Something like something like that, right? Something very foundational. Nothing gets created. Nothing is, you know, it, no third-party API or any API is called, right? You're just basically what is the expected output of this module and and you're asserting that right then you know similarly if you go down the integration test route um you know that's when i actually start creating resources right and then i'm using you know my my asserts there to validate hey did i get the correct response from that aws api did i get the correct you know maybe i'm using inspect and validating that like hey i went to spin up three servers did three servers get created right something like that um, and, and, you know, you can continue kind of down that path and you can get as sophisticated or as, 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 as maybe not basic, but as, um, unsophisticated as you want. Um, but, but for, foundationally something to, to think about in the DevOps world is that testing is still fairly new, right? A lot of folks don't test infrastructure as code. A lot of folks are just kind of, I like to call it the fire and forget model, right? Um, where, you know, you do Terraform plan, you know, you eyeball your your resources files and you're like, hey, yeah, that looks good enough, right? It's not creating anything I didn't think it was it should be creating and it seems like it'll work um, and you apply it, right? And that's, I think that that's where a lot of the industry still is uh, because it is still such a new concept. Um, and maybe we can unpack that more in a later episode when we talk about like CDK or something, uh, Cloud Development Kit. But I, to, to me, really like thinking of your various levels of testing um, and not being too repetitive to what I just said, uh, I have my linter, right? Like I do, um, you know, like Terra, maybe, uh, or first off, I guess I do like my compile test, right? Which is like Terraform Validate, right? 
is my, you know, does this run? And then I do my linting, right? Like TF lint, Terraform compliance, um, uh, Sentinel, I guess, you know, if you have Terraform Enterprise does it as well uh, for unit testing, then, you know, you look at Inspect, you look at TerraTest, you look at Kitchen Terraform, um, and then going down to integrations tests. Again, you could use Inspect for that, TerraTest. And then finally, if you're looking at like static analysis, if, you, if we want to talk about security testing, you know, you look at something like TFSec, right? And then that's kind of my testing pyramid uh, on the infrastructure side. Um, and there's similar patterns you can apply to other tools. Like I, I know, um, and for Ansible, for instance, I've, I've used Molecule in the past to do some unit testing. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would say my philosophy as far as testing is very similar uh, to Simon's. I won't speak for the entire industry and say that everyone's is because, as I, as I said, it's it's still a fairly new thing. And I think a lot of folks are still kind of, especially on the DevOps side, are still kind of wrapping their heads around it. Um, you know, what does it mean and, and why why do we do these things? Uh, and similar to why you do them when you write an application is why you would do them when you write ter- uh, infrastructure as code. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess to, to kind of put a bow on all that, um, I agree with most of what Simon said as far as his definitions of unit tests and integration tests. I have uh, disagreements in certain areas, uh, but I will agree that test-driven development is fundamentally flawed in the sense that you're incentivizing writing tests, which at a surface level uh, looks really good, sounds really good, but just kind of drives lower quality tests because folks are just looking to make uh, to meet a mark. And not to say it doesn't work. Um, if you have a really great engineering team that are like, you know, maybe it works, but um, I have not, I've yet to see a place in where test-driven development works well. Uh, the thing I will say there is I, I've always pr- pretty much uh, drawn a parallel to, uh, I had a boss that used to say, if you ask a question, you have to write documentation on the answer, right? And I kind of see test-driven development in the same way, right? Is that I, I, I'm encouraging, or I'm forcing people to do work, right? Uh, kind of against their will. And then as a result, you know, whatever the output of that forced work is, is going to be a lower quality than if I had just done it because it was the right thing to do. Got it. No, I, I, so there's, I have been writing furiously here, uh, as I want to make sure that we cover a lot of the things that you talked about. Uh, what I do want to do is go back to you, like I did with Simon on, uh, mock classes and mock testing and go to the, and if you could just give us in just a quick blurb on what contract testing actually is, I want to do sort of take these, uh, testing methodologies and, and try to just make sure that the audience is aware of what they are. Because I think most folks are aware, have heard the term SAST or DAST or um, you know, unit integration, functional testing, but not everyone's familiar with contract testing, mock classes. So over to you. Yes, Jameson, tell us about <laughs> So I will say um, I've never written contract tests. I have pretty light exposure to it. Um, there's, I've, I've seen a lot of folks get really fired up about it. Um, I haven't seen the value of it, but I know it is a pretty spicy topic and that's why I kind of interjected it here. But mocking is a big part of it, right? So I guess what a contract test is, is using a, um, I guess you could use, uh, you could use like an integration environment, I guess. But but where I've seen it before is that folks use kind of mock services, you know, mocked endpoints to their application to validate that the contracts that exist uh, with other applications are not being broken, right? So as part of your pipeline, you're basically testing this 
um, you know, API definition to ensure that the response that you're getting back from that is, you know, still what, uh, still what exists. Um, I'm probably butchering it, but that's kind of the idea. It's, it's to ensure that your, uh, you know, your contract air quotes, uh, between your applications is not broken when you make breaking changes or potentially breaking changes as part of the development life cycle. But said so I am not an expert on contract testing. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't even say I'm an advocate for contract testing. I was more just looking to uh, throw, throw it in, uh, towards Simon and see what he says <laughs> about it, you know, so. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I, look, I, I am a true believer that none of us are experts, you know. I mean, I think that, we have our experiences and where we drive from. And I don't think anyone here is speaking from a, a pedestal, right? But I, so let me, so I'll give you my understanding of contract testing too. And then Simon, you know, you probably have an opinion here considering you have such a strong opinion on mock classes. <laughs> so I will say that contract testing for me is like a way for, to, to ensure that one service or one piece of code can communicate with another without having to spin it up. And where that becomes super valuable to me is because security testing is so tail end in most organizations from the, on the DAS side, trying to query a, a running service or trying to analyze a, a, um, a you know, source code. Those tests become super valuable because it means that the, the application will still respond in some way, even if I don't have a fully deployed constellation, application constellation. And so I can't tell you how many times I would say I need to run a dynamic scan or I need to do a, a manual test in staging. Well, the application's only fully running in production and you can't deploy it locally. And as we get into this like microservices architecture and we have all these things and resources and I can't deploy an application locally, it becomes harder and harder to do, even though I know that there's disagreement on whether it's a test or not and just a scan, it's harder and harder to, to complete that activity. And so that's where I see value there. So um, Simon, tear us up, man. And then someone's like, Here, here's a production API key, go crazy. Just kidding. Um, it happened to me. It's definitely no, happened to me. They're like, go test production. It'll be fine, it'll be fine. No, again, I'm, I'll just decide I'm, I'm not an expert. These are just my opinions as I've experienced things, but Mock testing and contract testing. Going to, back to mock testing, I think the one thing of value there is when you're dealing with data and generating data in a, in a faked fashion is very useful. Uh, some of the most useful, like not test suites, but frameworks that I've used in applications are, are unit tests that will actually generate random data of all possible values that you could possibly run through a test. And it forces you to look at edge cases and you'll find things that really like developer brain trying to deliver product didn't think about, but all that aside, contract testing to me, I feel like is an excuse to slow down development and in, 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 in the most basic sense, because you've got two applications, right? You've got application A and application B and A is calling B. You have a contract that you're expecting to happen. And I'm going to go full circle and loop back some of our old conversations logging, documentation, why it's important. A calls B and it's success, that's great. 
you can have an integration test covering that. You can cover failed test cases. If you've got good error codes coming back, you can see what's going on. So there's an expectation as a software engineer writing a good application that you should be able to send back good messages, good error codes, um, and information uh, that, of course, is secure uh, with nothing too compromising, <laughs> too compromising, Ken, uh, that you can deal with. Say the contract changes. If your tests and your application break because of that, that is bad application. You should be able to be resilient and, you know, either log error those things, log warn those things. Same thing for the person receiving the request. If they have changed their application and some old app is now calling them, you should be able to give them something. You should be able to give them some sort of response. And again, hey, this old application has started sending me this new field I don't recognize. That's okay. That's what log warn is for. Log it. At some point, you're going to see the flood of things. If app A is is crashing and doesn't know what to do, you fix it. If something is that catastrophic that your contract is going to change and it's going to break things and there's nothing you can do about it, there's this wonderful thing called versioning and communication and documentation. Hey guys, this app is changing. It's going to be pretty drastic. This new endpoint slash v2 does everything you wanted plus more. Here's the documentation. Here's a link to Swagger on how it works. Enjoy your lives. And that's why I don't like contract testing. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something similar until you, if you didn't say it, which is like, you should always version your API. If you're going to make breaking changes, even if you don't make breaking changes, like always version your API. Like maybe that's a universal axiom of the world. But um, yeah, I think that that's important. And it is contract testing to a degree is a shortcut around that. But I don't, I don't. Like I, I disagree that mocks are never needed. I think that they can be useful, but you should be careful and strategic about where you use them and not try to mock everything under the sun. I was going to say, fair. for our episode on documentation, that's number five for anyone listening. <laughs> Simon's got some strong opinions there as well. No, I never have strong opinions. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I the think one, we all do. The one contract test that I think has has a little bit more value is when you're looking at front-end development because it's so volatile. You're dealing with finicky browsers. You're dealing with, you know, uh, you know, you fix something in one browser, it breaks in the other. Your some call is broken, it works in the other. Your JavaScript libraries have changed or whatever. It gets so easy to get just tangled up in a mess of things and a mess of like, this Ajax call is broken now. So having that sort of contract validation is valuable. Valuable. That's probably just because I'm not as strong of a front-end developer as I am back-end developer. And when I have to do JavaScript and CSS, I get very sad and upset and it, it breaks my soul. Um, but I, I, I do find contract validation or contract testing there pretty useful. Okay. No, I mean, that's good. I mean, that's, that's sort of what we're trying to tease out. Like when... When are, when is this testing valuable? How or to you, right? Personally, because I you know I think there are other opinions out there. Again, I'm hoping that folks come back at us and tell us you know why we're wrong, and it would be great to get a testing engineer you know on here to have this conversation again and go through it. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, now that we've gotten all of the, the, the crust, right. I think it's good. It's a good time to, to dig in and start to look at how we can meld this stuff together. 
right? So the way that I want to take that conversation is first just explaining it, things that I forgot and, uh, and, and digging into the DevOps side is for your linters and compilers and scanners, that is huge to me because right now security feels like it's at this crossroads where we are doing this infrastructure as code thing and application security is becoming more and more and more important. And we can take a lot of these things that we've been doing and translate them into or move them into DevOps practices and come after DevOps while we were only coming after product engineers. So now we have like two people to Yay. annoy and, and that's great for me. And the one thing I will say about DevOps testing right now is that it seems like you all don't want to do it and we do want to do it. And so we are developing tools. You, you mentioned some TFSec, uh, not me personally. I don't want to take credit for any of that um, <laughs> because that is like some good stuff. I'm glad it's in, you know, in the community, but I haven't, uh, you know, I, I'm not a contributor to that. Um, but linters and scanners and things for infrastructure as code are so, you know, it's like these edge cases, people are using different, in, different tools. And I think that, you know, we are planning on doing something on, you know, the CDK and the Terraform CDK and, and that kind of thing to, to sort of help with this. But it is really hard to test that stuff because of the same reasons that we're having with microservices is that there's, it's hard to, to get to the final product, right? It's like, once you get to, once you've analyzed Terraform, you know, the, the, in your head, you want to say, well, I want to scan Terraform and I just want to make sure I get all those vulnerabilities or all those misconfigurations out of the way early so that when I deploy 10,000 servers with this, you know, one page of, of uh, Terraform that I don't have to worry about it. And then doing the dynamic test on that side is so hard because you have all of this networking and uh, things that you have to think about that you may not have thought about as an application security engineer. So now AppSec engineers and InfoSec engineers are like having to do this thing together that they've never done together before. And, I, and that is just like a change in the industry that makes me really excited because it means that we get to bring code and these processes of like securing code to the infrastructure and everything is like getting blended together. And that is like the DevSecOps dream, right? So, you know, that's sort of my, my hot take on it. Um, but one of the things that you said, Jameson, was that, uh, that the automation is a fire and forget model. That's one, that's, I didn't say that's the only approach. I said, that's one approach. That is the so, probably most common approach. <laughs> so, but, but again, I think that that is an important thing to dig into. Um, I, I'm, I'll step down off my pedestal for a minute and my, 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 uh, my security preaching. And so can you just, I think that the reason that that is such a, um, interesting concept we'll we'll call it is that 
when would you say that you think of it that way? Because if you, if something isn't tested in DevOps, that the fact that it's deployed as you expected is the test. Yeah, I would say that's that's kind of the the old mentality of thinking, right? Is that success criteria is literally did the thing successfully make it into you know where I intended it to go? Is it throwing you know errors like historically kind of from a more ops mindset? Uh, no noise was good noise to a certain degree, right? And so that was your success criteria. Your testing happened in real time post deployment as opposed to something ahead of, uh, you know, uh, that you did proactively, right? And, and I think Chef um, kind of pioneered this within in, in spec and, um, and, and Test Kitchen and all that stuff, right? Kind of started to shift that mentality. I think, oh, I'm trying to remember back to when I used to write Puppet, there was another framework there for that. But anyhow, like when your configuration management tools kind of came on on the block, so to speak, um, they, they kind of started pushing that, right? Where I'm now going to reuse this, automation everywhere. And so I need to make sure that it's working before it's deployed, because by the time I deploy it, it could go, as you said, like it could go to a thousand servers. And so then, I mean, retrofitting it, if I'm using config management, maybe it's not terrible, right? Because I could just change my module and redeploy to a thousand servers. But from an assessment perspective, and, and this is where I feel like application security is probably stealing a little bit of work from penetration testers, but that maybe that's fine. Um, but the, I think the thing that changes uh, there and then the mentality that I think DevOps, you know, collectively needs to get over is that testing up front is a, is a good thing. And yeah, while it creates more work, you know, we, we talked about test driven development being uh, uh, suboptimal. Um, it, it does create a better long-term result, right? Where instead of having used that Terraform module, like in a thousand places before I finally realized, oh crap, my SSL ciphers are outdated, right? And now I have to go back and I have to redeploy that same module to, you know, n number of environments um, and maybe take that a step further, right? I write a Terraform module, I put it on GitHub and a bunch of other people use it. It's a kind of that same mentality, right? Where now I either have to, you know, push out a new version and then kind of get everyone in that's ever used it to, hey, by the way, I screwed up. You have to now redeploy this Terraform module I wrote, right? So I, I think it's kind of this mentality of test up front, validate, make sure everything's working um, so that when it does go to, you know, production, goes to whatever environment, I can ensure that it's working as expected. But further, and, and this is kind of where, from my perspective, I think the real value is, is that as things change, as, as like anyone that's gone from Terraform 0.11 to 0.12, right, there are some pretty dramatic changes in there. And so with that, if I have a solid testing framework underpinning my infrastructure as code, when I make that mod modernization, I can ensure that, hey, everything is still working. I'm still deploying the expected number of resources. I can, you know, and, and maybe my tests don't even really need to change because my, um, you know, my resources on, on my integration tests didn't change and my output from my unit tests didn't necessarily change. So I think that that's kind of where the, it, it kind of comes in a few places, right? Where there's a lot of value from a security aspect of being able to 
validate these things up front before they go to prod. But also there is a lot of value in the ongoing maintenance of these Terraform modules, of these infrastructure as code to say that this is still working as I intended it to when I wrote it you know, two years ago. Um, and, and I think that's, but as, as it, this is a big shift in mentality because you're going from a, uh, a, a lot of individuals who are like, I have no idea what a unit test is. And now you're trying to get them to write them. So it's, it's definitely, we're, we're in an interesting era of, uh, of, of automation, but um, I, I think we all come out the other side with a, a lot healthy of, uh, healthier of infrastructure. So it's, it's definitely a net positive. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, you know, the, the interest, the, my view on it is that we are at this area where we have the capability now to more easily test things before they are deployed. Whereas, you know, before there was, maybe there were some ways to do it through like shell scripts or whatever, or reviewing some like, you know, scripts or autumn, you know, your Perl scripts, uh, you know, back hey in the yo. day when you wrote Perl um, and developed and, you know, develop those. Now we have the capability to, to like, look at this human readable format in a, in a, like an easier way and sort of tease that out much earlier in the process. And application security has matured a lot, um, you know, in the past, you know, over the years. And so we're sort of at this, um, area where I would love and my vision, right. For, most organizations is to apply those application security techniques, processes, procedures, like all of the things that we've done with maturity and, um, you know, analysis and, you know, shifting left, extending right, all the buzzwords that you want to throw in there. Those things can now be applied to infrastructure. Now, the challenge that we have in security is very similar to yours in that when you bring those to infrastructure, you are trying to take from the opposite angle, someone who knows all of these things about application security, the weaknesses, the OWASP top 10, all of the, you know, the different uh, attack paths someone can take through an application. They've read the Web Application Hacker's Handbook, and you're trying to take those people and then make sure that they understand infrastructure, network, and host security concepts and apply those same techniques to that. And I think that's the challenge we need to overcome. We need to like sort of seal up that communication channel in the security industry before we can be effective doing that, you know, but I think that it's possible, especially as DevOps engineers become more communicative with security engineers and can sort of bridge the gap to those traditional infrastructure networking um, industries, right? And, and people. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I would say we're still a long ways off until this is like the standard, right? I think there's a lot of folks that are doing good work on this. There's a lot of tooling, open source tooling out there. But the thing that is still kind of noticeably lacking outside of maybe HashiCorp and, and a few other of the vendors that are more um, forward thinking is is real kind of enterprise tooling. You know, what I, I can't think of any security tool right now that has support for any of these things, right? Whereas like, you know, right. HashiCorp's added, um, I'm trying to remember, like Sentinel is, you know, is something that they offer, right? In enterprise, unfortunately. Um, AWS has created, was it TaskCAD or something for uh, CloudFormation, but by and large, majority of the work here is still being done by the open source community. And until yep. 
until there's a Gartner quadrant uh, for uh, for infrastructure as code testing tools or something, you know, to that effect, I think we're still kind of, um, we're before the curve and, you know, where we haven't hit that apex point of this is now the way that things are done. So, right. And I I think the way that we start with that, and maybe Simon, you, you have an, an outlook on this is, you know, application security started somewhere too, before the scanners were generated. And application testing started somewhere too before the the application testing was generated. And I would say that we still have modern code practices that can be applied to this type of thing that will help with the security of it. And the number one thing that I can say is to go through the same peer review process or manual process that you do in in your traditional reviews before all of this testing automation, all of that with your um, with your infrastructure automation, because that will help and involve those infrastructure security engineers in those peer reviews. I think the the lowest curve or yeah, the lowest curve to that is to bring a network engineer or an infrastructure engineer and introduce them to something like the Git process. Any views on that? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting idea. I think you said it when you you mentioned uh, it's become a lot easier to test. I think it's become a lot easier because everything else has become so much more complicated as time moves on and on. So we have access to a bunch of new resources, but <clears throat> that also means we have to stay ahead of the curve and and utilize those from a testing manner. So you know the fact that we have um, cloud service providers now for instances means you don't have to deal with you know, getting that shady production API key, we can get a dedicated, well, I don't know, DevSecOps like environment to have a collaborative set of tests and, uh, you know, check out one of our previous episodes using a service mesh to make sure that our network health is going, we can have tests around that and having, you know, a dedicated environment that all three teams can use and learn from. And that can include having, you know, learning how to use Git properly, following in SDLC process when it comes to peer review and deployment and uh, reviewing tests and coverage, if, if you want to use coverage, uh, you know, and, 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 the, and the whole whole kit Moodle. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that education curve, like it can be really overwhelming to think, uh, to think about all of this in one, in, on one plate. Yep. But um, for, for me, it's, you know, what's the, what's the lightest touch into it is that like just the, the get education or the process education, because if you, I think we have a tendency in today's world to go immediately to automation. So we are saying for, especially for DevSecOps, like most folks will wrap themselves around automation with DevSecOps. And so if you, are looking at it from, as, a, as a network engineer or a network security engineer in how can I be a part of this world? Uh, cue the little mermaid music. Um, <laughs> but if you're, if you're trying to get into that world, your education doesn't have to start at Terraform and analyzing the templates and how, you know, how does this sort of get out into the world and where, you know, how am I going to test this earlier? It can be Jameson in DevOps is putting together a a Terraform template and he just needs to walk me through the template and tell me what it's doing. And then I'll give him any 
insight that I have as a network security engineer as to how that might be a problem. And that can be the education point. It doesn't have to be, hey, network engineer, go write uh, you know, a, a scanner for Terraform. Yeah, and, and I add basically the same thing from product engineering best practices. And for me, I feel like it would be really useful to understand like the inner workings of uh, of both sides. Uh, again, I think we all we all resonate that code is a really easy way to understand what another engineer is, is thinking. So having that collaborative space, I think is something that's definitely lacking in the industry right now. Cool. So um, obviously, we're all pretty passionate about this topic. I am definitely. Uh, there's a lot of testing things that need to be done for security. And so it's a, it's a lot of, um, a lot of history for me. Uh, but we are approaching an hour on this one. I do want to just sort of open it up to you two for final thoughts before we close out. Yeah. So, I mean, what I'll say is that while the things that we are testing and maybe some of the tools we're using are different, I mean, fundamentally everyone's testing this in the same methodology, right? All these things can be, uh, you know, at a surface level, be tested the same, right? Even if the underpinnings of that is completely different. Um, so I, I think that between security, between product engineering, between DevOps, right? Like that there is that common language of unit test, functional test, and maybe we've disagreed slightly here and there of what those are, but I think we we're all kind of looking to do the same thing. We're all thinking about doing the similar same things. Um, and so I think that's important, right, is that there is that common language, right? And, and, and so getting folks just to kind of be up to speed on that um, is, is maybe the first step. But also the last thing I will say is that there is a lot of really great open source tools that are, that are doing things uh, like this today. And so, um, you know, feel free to reach out, to explore GitHub, to see what's out there, because um, you don't have to rewrite, you know, the... The Terraform scanner from scratch, luckily someone has already done it. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of that. So rather than rewriting that yourself, maybe contribute um, and, and something like that. So, um, but yeah, that, that that's the last I'll say on that. But overall, I think we're kind of all speaking the same language, which is uh, a step in the right direction. Same here and just continue to use testing as a vessel to communicate between the orgs. We, we can't, we definitely don't do that enough. And I think the, the frameworks and environments that we have right now are so versatile and so easy to use. There's no reason why we can't be doing that. Agreed. And from, from my side, I will just say, you know, security engineers, product, and, you know, just normal application security engineers, don't be afraid of writing tests, write them yourself, get someone to help write them with you, for you. Um, you know, try to get as much out of it as you can to take the testing to the next level, you know, from your requirements to your testing, because I think that that is really the stage that we are missing most often. We rely too too much on, you know, the tools to meet some compliance or checklist or whatever, but it's, you're not doing yourself too many favors. Um, and with that, that wraps this episode. It's been a long one and we knew it was going to be, but as always, thank you everyone for listening. If you like what we're doing here, please go ahead and give us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We just got launched on Google Podcasts. They finally accepted us, so we're there now. Uh, we're also available on most other platforms that consolidate these. Our website is up if you prefer to listen there at www.r2dso.com. If you have any questions, feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or if you just want to chat about the show or send us questions, you can reach us at security at r 2 
dso.com or Twitter at R2DSO. See y'all next week.